We have a big guest, Troy Taylor, a restructuring advisor who works with a lot of banks, is going to be giving us a lowdown on what's been going on behind the scenes with this tidal wave of, of debt. A little sneak peek of my weekly newsletter this week. The CPI inflation was hotter than expected, which I personally think is bad because what we want is the Fed to think that they did a great job cooling inflation. Everybody out there expected it to hit 2.9%, but it landed slightly higher at 3.1%. Core inflation, however, stayed at 3.9%. That said, and if you read my weekly newsletters, which all you guys should get by signing up at thewealthelevator.com slash club, you probably did not expect any rate decreases until May at the earliest, which has been my current prediction at this point. Now, the good news, which signals to the Fed to let up on interest rates, is that in January alone, 8,000 folks were laid off. Comparing the last three months to last year, there's about 410,000 more people out of work. It's clear the economy is slowing. Layoffs often lead to more layoffs, opening a door for the Fed to lower rates. But last week, the stock market opened, it plummeted, then rose again like a roller coaster. Did you see that the S&P hit all-time highs this past month? Now, if you believe Warren Buffett's advice, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful, then now might be the time to take profits and explore alternative investments. To me, diversify to real estate because stocks are at all-time highs and real estate already went through its 30% correction. And on today's podcast, we're going to be showing exactly the reason why. And if you haven't yet, check out my quarterly report that I released it on my YouTube channel last week. For those of you guys who are brand new, great way to get the whole big picture of what's been happening over the last year or two. As a side note, this is bad news for anybody looking at mortgage rates. They're sticking in the 6 to 7% range now. And a little bit of comments on the CPI details for those of you engineers in the group. I know we have a lot of engineer investors out there that like these details. But despite some better news with energy prices falling, food and shelter costs are still on the rise. And service inflation, wages, remains the Fed's biggest headache. Construction of new properties is expected to be slow next year, which is exactly why we are primed to head to construction soon as rates are starting to come down. I actually just put in, submitted a loan request for one of our developments and was surprised that rates have come out of the double digit arena and has come off of those peaks. But with that, we're going to get into some heavy stuff here. And at the conclusion of the podcast, I'm going to be lightening the mood a little bit with a little parable that I thought that would be useful. If you haven't heard, the Fed bumped interest rates up to the 40-year high the quickest time in history, which was a doozy for commercial real estate, especially if you had bridge debt renewing in one, two, or even three years. Commercial real estate prices have come down 30% off the highs. Personally, as a buyer of commercial real estate, like we haven't really bought anything since the summer of 2000. Maybe just that's just anecdotal, but it's also indicative of a fraction of the buyers that are in the market today because the interest rates are high. But most notably, in before, I was able to get 70% loan-to-value loans. Today, that's down to 50%. So even with prices lower, the, the deal economics just aren't working, which is why people aren't really buying and the prices are depressed at this moment, which has created huge problems. And if you've heard of this trillion dollar tidal wave of debt coming due, this is the topic of today and really didn't get to the meat of it. Um, I think a lot of you guys are wanting to get access to people that I have in my world, such as Troy Taylor. Thanks for jumping on, Troy. Uh, he works with Algon Group. 
Troy, just give people a little background on yourself. Some you've got a lot of experience. Maybe tell us how you got started in this world. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on the on your show. I'm Troy Taylor, and I'm the president and founder of Algon. I'm an investment banker by background. I'm not an attorney, though we work with them an awful lot. I was a traditional investment banker until around 2000, and then was involved in a bad transaction and learned all about the problem side of the world. Last 20 years or so. We've handled many troubled real estate projects, condos, multifamily, office, hotels, resorts, you name it. And we're right in the middle now of some real problems here in the multifamily sector all around the country. And pretty much what we're seeing is the problems are not really unique to any one market. It's the perfect storm, as Connor Lane was talking about. Interest rates really are a huge driver of decreased values, but We've also seen some very interesting dynamics. As we came out of COVID, a number of the tenants were on various government programs. As those programs burned off, a lot of the tenants candidly just couldn't afford rents. And it made it so you had high delinquencies. Almost all the the, the fixer-upper deals that, that you may have invested in, they, they share a common denominator. The idea was to come in, put some good money in, roll up your sleeves, renovate, and drive rents from let's say $900 a unit to $1,150 or, or $11 or whatever the number was. But the problem that, that everyone's run into is the costs have been substantially higher than people expected. Materials have cost more, uh, COVID being a big factor of that one, labor costs more. And then on some of the projects, some of these older buildings, they've just been more difficult to renovate. And then on, on top of everything else, you, you have interest rates coming due where as your initial uh, financing is getting to maturity, to renew it, you're talking about the, another 200 basis points, which is two points. So on a, on a $35 million loan, that's $700,000. And the project just can't afford it. Unfortunately, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a number of existing projects have some real problems. We're starting to see that in the press now. I think some of the lenders will basically uh, take back a number of the properties. I do think that there's going to be some opportunities to put some capital into some of the projects going forward, assuming you're coming in and investing above all the existing equity and you're the new equity, you're just subordinating to the bank. But again, it's going to be on a deal-by-deal basis and it's all over the map and it's not unique to any one sponsor or any two sponsors. We've got clients who are the best of the best operators and they've got two or three problems. It's one of those things where when you have an industry meltdown like this, it's a tough time. It, it's not doom or gloom. It's almost binary. If you're in a deal that got started prior to 2021, right, you didn't buy it off the peaks, I'll use keyword, or you had long-term debt that renewed in five years or later, you're totally fine. You probably can't sell right now, obviously, because things are down 20 to 30% yeah. across the board but you're totally fine. It's just like the kiss of death is floating debt and bridge debt. If you started in 2020 and it came three years for renew in 2023, or probably I would say maybe interest rates have to hit the fours for the cap rates to come back to earth. Now, I don't think that's going to be happening until May next year, but that's the kiss of death, right? If you, you nailed it. If you've got agency fixed rate debt and it's long-term, Things may not be great today, but so you'll make a little bit less money. You ride out the storm. It's like you have a little bit of a cold. It's exactly what you described. It's if you've got floating rate debt that matures, that's a real problem. 
And another analogy that I've been, you know, using to explain this to people is, sure, maybe you're in a property where it's 9% occupied and you're getting huge rent increases. It's been, Troy likes to run. I like to work out. It's like we have six pack abs and super strong, high VO2 max, but not to say that we don't have some kind of stage three cancer in the middle there. And that's where these deals, if you're coming renewal for your debt, in inopportune time when the property is devalued by 30% less and you may need to put in a huge amount to refinance to get that new loan, that gap may be like the stage three terminal cancer. That, that's the key. And you really need to do really some hardcore analysis to say, okay, number one, given where we're standing, how much capital do we really need to put in this thing? carry this thing for the next couple of years and be realistic, not be pie in the sky, have a little bit of contingency and really have a really look at yourself in the mirror and say, what's it going to take? And then you look at the property and you say, based on the values, we put this money in, what's this probably going to be worth in two or three years? And there'll be some properties that it's a no brainer. You should put money in, give it a shot. And there's others that you, you may be too far underwater that you say to yourself, gosh, even if we put this money in and we perform, the world has to be perfect and more perfect for us to be honest. And this is when we need to get back to the bank. So it's a it's absolutely not a sponsor by sponsor decision. It's a property by property decision with some really hardcore, sophisticated analysis of rolling up your sleeves. Because again, I think there will be some real good opportunities to invest if you're very selective. But not every project should you put capital in. Some of them are too far gone. But there's plenty that just need a little bit of tender, loving care. They don't need the ice cream. They just need the chocolate sauce on top of the ice cream to get there. So it's a function of being very selective of which ones you want to be involved in because every, everyone's not one you should ride with. But if you, get the, if you ride the right ones, it's a very attractive time to, to be in because, as you said, you're, if you're investing now, you're essentially investing at approximately between 22 and 30% less value for that same project that was 18 months ago. We actually have a project like this. We bought this one, I think 2021, we bumped the rents up by, I think, $200 on average across the board, or at least our average rents are. And the market took its tumble. We didn't buy this thing off the peak. So maybe what we bought it off of, it came down maybe 10%, 15%. But we made a heck of a lot of headway with the value add, bumping it up that 10, 15% ourselves, which is pretty much what we wanted to do in the business plan in maybe three years instead of five years. But the damn thing is still worth like where we're at neutrality in terms of doing a cash in or cash out refinance. And that's just indicative of the market. We'll get over the hump. We'll get the we're getting the perm debt on it now. We're getting it to dry land. So to live to fight another day and get over this hump. But that's where like this black hole, it's this gravitational pull. It pulls out these properties that are exposed, which this bridge debt and kind of brings those into play where a lot of projects from 2022 on were just out there, which is why we stopped buying properties after a certain point ourselves too. Look, you just, you nailed it. But that, the project you just talked about is great because as long as it's cash flowing above the current debt, maybe you can even start to pay down some of your principal. And one of the things that, that it's old fashioned, but people over the years have made a ton of money in real estate by doing nothing other than just paying down the debt over five or seven years and all of a sudden converting all that debt to equity. And even if the property doesn't go up in value, you use that cash to reduce the debt so you've increased your equity. 
there's other ways to skin the can. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be exactly the way you thought it was going to be when you made the investment. But that's where you need to have good sponsors that are flexible and creative and don't think there's just one playbook. Yeah. So let's go in with that. From one side, yeah, you want to be creative. But unfortunately, if your asset is worth like two thirds of what it once was, isn't that what other creative solutions can there be done from a sponsor's perspective? I think it depends why it's okay. So here's an example. If you have a property that the decrease in value is substantially related to operational aspects that can easily be fixed. Let's say you have the wrong property management company. And they're running something at it's 72% occupancy and it's in a good location. And it's and you look at the comparables, it's a nice property and the thing should be running at 91% occupancy. It doesn't take a, a, a great deal of faith to say, if you get the right property management company in and you look over this thing over a reasonable period of time, maybe 18 months, you're not going to do it in two months. You're not going to do it in six months, but over a year, 18 months, you're going to drive occupancy up to that 92%. So then you say, What's the property worth now if we're running the 92% with what we think the rents are going to be? And then you make your decision if you're going to put capital in. On the other hand, let's say you have a property that you overpay, the CapEx has been way more expensive than everybody thought. You, the sponsors got in and they found out that they budgeted $6 million for CapEx. And lo and behold, the, the HVAC system needs to be replaced and the entire pool deck needs to be replaced. And it's not $6 million, it's $10 million. Candidly, that may be one that you just let the bank, let the lenders have it and let them figure out what to do with it and maximize the value because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to chase bad money with good money. You want to put good money in the, the ones that basically have a good shot. But we, we've seen, like, we have a client that's got a property in the Midwest, great property. They, they tried to internally manage it, probably a little bit over their skis. They're bringing in a top-notch property management company and it's not very hard to imagine that you're going to increase the occupancy close to 20 points over a reasonable period of time. But again, there's no silver bullet. It's not going to be like you're going to come in and here it is March 1st and by June 1st, things are going to be hunky-dory. It's going to take a while and, and you can't assume everything's going to work perfect because nothing in life works perfect. Yeah, but if you're one of the most unluckiest of people and brought the property when would you say the peak was early 22, bought in that era, the first half of 20, 2022? And you're, there's some people say, have said there's, I think there's a false narrative out there that they're going to accelerate the business plan. But when your business plan was to merely bump the net operating income by 10 to 20%, and part of that may be bumping rents up by $300 per unit, $400 plus per unit you're still not going to overcome that 20, 30% decrease in price at the end of the day. The operational thing will get you to the point where you're at least cash flow break even. Then you've got staying power. But at some point, rates will come down, prices will go back up. The key is how long do you have to negatively cash flow? That's the single biggest thing. Once you reach break even and you're not having negative cash flow, if you have to hold it for an extra couple of years, you hold it for an extra couple of years. And then usually good things happen. There'll be a buyer that comes in who's wanting to overpay. Interest rates will come down. The, the government will condemn the entire area and give you a good check. But the key is you've got to get the thing to cash flow break even. Because as long as you're subsidizing it, that's a real problem. And you got to be realistic about how long it's going to take. And that's probably the single biggest problem that we're seeing in the marketplace right now, Lane. We're seeing a bunch of sponsors around the country that have bad projects that are continuing to basically shore up the, the negative cash flow with either their own funds or their or some of their LP funds 
without a strategic plan for what they're going to do. Just as you and I have been discussing, some projects make a lot of sense to get in there and roll up your sleeves and save, and some don't. But the one thing that doesn't make any sense is to just put money into a project to keep it going, to pay the mortgage without a long-term strategic plan. And it's our, it's the Algon mantra. And it sounds really corny, but you got to have a plan, you got to have a plan, you got to have a plan, and you got to have a plan. Because otherwise, all you're doing is it, it, you're just thinking good money and throwing it after bad money. You got to have a plan for what you're going to do before you put money in. And that's very hard for a lot of sponsors to wrap their head around. Yeah, it's a tough situation. And I've seen some people out there commit suicide. And I'm talking about my general partner, brother and other competitors that we have. Some of these guys have underwritten their exits at five and a quarter reversion cap rates. And they need the cap rates to come back to that level. And like you said, their plan is just to hold on to this railing until that happens. But if you're underwriting to a low 5% or even worse, high 4% reversion cap, you're going to have to hold on for three, four years to hit that. Again, getting back to that, the, the one thing that, again, is old-fashioned, if you have enough cash flow and you can start to pay down the debt, you'd be surprised how much value you can create on a long-term hold. It becomes like, I, I had some rental properties in Atlanta that I bought, gosh, 10, 12 years ago where I had 15-year mortgages on them and I just paid down the debt. And over time, I own those, I own three condos and some very like luxury buildings free and clear now that basically all I did was I took them the rent every month, paid the HOA, paid the mortgage, had a couple of pennies left over, but I converted all that debt to equity, though it took 10 years. So it's and that, now has that been a great investment? So a couple of them, one or two of them have appreciated dramatically. One of them is actually worth less than when I paid for it, but I it all free and clear and it's all equity. Again, the f- most fundamental thing is you have to be realistic about how the project's performing. Then you need to look at the capital structure and say, okay, the property performs at this level. What's this thing really worth? And to your point about cap rates, you got to be realistic. You can't say, oh my gosh, cap rates going to come back to 4.75 and I'm going to be fine. Look, on an Excel spreadsheet, we can make any project look like it's going to work. Instead, we need to be realistic. Let's look at it at a five cap, which is probably super optimistic. Let's look at a five and a half cap rate, which is probably where my head gravitates towards. And let's look at a six cap rate and be more conservative. And then let's say, based on what's the probability of hitting your projections, let's look at the projections at 100%. Let's look at the projections at 90%. Let's look at the projections at 80% and 70%. And you can do a mathematical grid and say, okay, if we get 80% of our projections and we get a five and a half cap rate, we're going to make money on this. That's a reasonable thing. Now, if you need to hit 100% and you need a five cap rate, that's why you need to probably say, because no one's going to hit 100%. But part of this is it's a little tougher because you do need maybe a higher level of sophistication and analysis to really figure out which are the ones you want to roll up your sleeves in and put more money in and which are the ones that you want to go bye-bye because it's not as simple as saying this thing's worth 25% less than it was a year and a half ago. That's good or bad. It really is a case-by-case situation and we need to look at the underlying reasons. Again, if it's simple operations and we just need a lease up, that's one level of difficulty. If we've still got major CapEx and we found out that we've got asbestos or we've got all the balconies in the, in the, in the units, all the problems with their rebar, we have to replace all the balconies and it's undetermined what the CapEx is going to be because our structural engineers can't decide amongst themselves. That's a whole different level of difficulty and much higher risk. 
So we need to look and understand why is it 25 or 30% less? Is it strictly cap rates? Is it computer operations fix it? I, and again, if we're 90% through our CapEx renovation, and we're starting to lease things up and we just haven't had a chance to have it show up yet in the P&L, that's one thing. If we're only 20% through the CapEx renovation and we don't really have a lot of cash and we need to raise even more cash to do the rest of the CapEx, that's a problem. One of the issues, Lane, that you may have seen with some sponsors is if they had, a let's say, a 4 or $5 million CapEx line, the problem that we've seen with some sponsors is They've spent 70% of the CapEx line, but they've only completed 30% of the CapEx. So they're underwater. And that's a real problem. And and part of that is like with multifamily real estate or any real estate business plan, like the plan is the plan until the plan changes. And that typically is like right after closing. So whether you spend down your budget and because things change, there is some level of flexibility there. But I think that's where a guy like yourself, again, Troy works with general partners, operators on that level. And his hourly rate obviously reflects that, right? <laughs> to come in and do this financial analysis and financial advising on, hey, what options do we have here? Where can we get to? And what do we need to right-size the deal? As opposed to what I've been seeing, and some of you guys have been reaching out to me personally, and maybe I'll open this up for a paid consult, but a lot of these instances are coming up for sponsors and operators out there where they're asking investors to put in some money only to get them six months, 18 months down the road, which is not enough. I don't think the cap rates are going to be getting there at this point. And I think the important things to know are is like, what is that property worth today based on broker price opinions, which are a little bit all over the place. And then the second information is where is the senior debt? Those are the two biggest things that I look at first. It doesn't matter how the occupancy is. Of course, Troy is, he'll work with sponsors and operators to dig into that second point, which is what can be done with operations to optimize it. But at least the level of type of look I'll do with passive investors is let's look at this from more of a high level first and then go from there. Also, a couple of key things. A lot of what we do is also, we know how to talk to the lenders um, and we also understand what lenders will do and what they won't do. And sometimes some of the sponsors are very naive in terms of thinking what the lenders will do. If you're coming to the lender with substantial additional equity, there's going to be some flexibility. If a sponsor is coming to the lender and saying, hey, I just need some help because my property's underwater and I'm a good guy. I've made my mortgage payments for the last two years you're probably not going to get a great audience. Our experience is we've represented a lot of family offices, developers, owners over the years, and it's most successful real estate folks have not been through a situation like this. And it's a slightly different mentality. But the most important thing is really, agree with your, your analysis of where you are, but you also have to really take a really far look and say, if I do get the occupancy up and I do get the rental increases, what's the real NOI of this property really going to be? And then we can talk about interest rates and cap rates. But the truth of the matter is you got to have a real, realistic assessment of if you execute the, the operating business plan, what's your NOI going to look like? And then you can go from there because strong NOI, even if the cap rates are, are not so good, we can always just basically use that cash. We can pay down the debt. We can do lots of things. Once we reach cash flow break even, it's a whole different story. And if, if you think that the operating changes that need to be made, you're going to get Get you the cash flow break even. That's a project that long term is going to work out. May not be the IRR that you thought you were going to get, but in the long run, it'll be a positive return. But the key is you got to be realistic 
and not pie in the sky of what do you really think you can do with the property at the operating level because that drives everything. And then if the debt's just too much, the debt's too much. Nothing you can do. Yeah, and it's that situation where you may have to just amputate the arm to save the body. And that's how you tell investors you got to diversify over to multiple projects. Don't just put all your money into three or four deals. That's not diversification. And markets, you want to be... Though a lot of the problems we're seeing are pretty similar in every market, but there are some markets in the country that are hit worse. You, you wouldn't want to put all your eggs in projects in, in, in LA or in Atlanta or whatever. You want to be in multiple cities because in a normal environment, you'll, real estate's always, but I always say real estate's a local business. And it was that way really with the, the condo debacle back in 2010 through 12. Florida was hit really hard with condos, really hard. The rest of the country was hit, but nothing like Florida. To your point, if it's much geographical diversity as you can get, unfortunately, right now it's like an umbrella over almost all multifamily. We're seeing the same problems in Detroit, in Houston, and in Indianapolis all at the same time. And let me mention that there. You guys obviously listen to other podcasts, and there's this kind of fake podcast world out there with your first types are your educators, and they're the ones just saying, eh, don't worry about it. The banks will extend and pretend. We'll get into that a little bit later. And then the new syndicators who have these podcasts who don't even have 10 freaking properties will downplay the whole situation. And then they'll both use the narrative of, you got to get really hyper-focused on one market. It's not a national market. It's, but this whole interest rate thing is a national thing and it impacted all markets. Maybe not the same, but maybe not 30% off the peak, but certainly 10 to 20%. So it's, you can't really hide from this thing. And if they're using the whole geographic thing, then that's just lies. But the big one I wanted to get your input on, Troy, and I think that's why I wanted to bring you on because you're actually a guy in the trenches doing this, not just an economist or a podcaster. But there's a narrative of, hey, the banks don't want these properties back, right? They're not in the business of owning these assets and operating themselves. Don't worry, they'll just extend and pretend. Nobody's hitting their debt service coverage ratios. What are they going to do? Take back? thousands and thousands of apartments and offices. So maybe if you can shed some light on that whole narrative. There's no one size fits all answer to a lot of these things. Every lender is different. Some lenders, remember banks are regulated. Some of the other lenders that have gotten very active in this marketplace are not regulated. So from lender to lender, there's a different temperature of how they will react. I think you're absolutely right. If you're missing some covenants, like your debt service coverage, you're doing some things, I don't think lenders are going to be so quick to really want to come in and ruffle the feathers and take back properties. But if you can't make the mortgage payment, that's a real problem. So the key is, again, if you can't make the mortgage payment and you can't keep the accounts payable in, in line, you're going to have lenders that will step up and exercise their lender remedies. But I agree with you. I think the Mickey Mouse COVID, no one's going to rush to put you in foreclosure. But once you start missing payments, or they really think you're building up payables to an unhealthy level, you can have some tough conversations. Yeah. That's obvious, right? Because that's them getting paid, right? The mortgage goes to that, right? They want to get paid. They absolutely want to get paid. And again, if you bring fresh equity to a deal that's troubled, they will have some flexibility. Well, they have a lot of flexibility. So far, we're not seeing that, but they'll have some around the edges. But again, the key is the more equity you're bringing to the project, that's good for the lender because you're essentially increasing the value of their collateral. Yeah. And, and let's turn this a little bit more into education because I, I think we use in interchangeably lender and banks, but 
There's also debt funds out there that also yes. provide the lending or insurance companies will be the lender in some cases. We don't want to name names and name specifics, but maybe give us the breadth of what those are and then maybe how some would react others than each other. And, and right, is, so, it, is it all random too? All right. So here, here's the thing. So number one, banks and insurance companies are regulated. Now they're regulated by different regulators. So I can tell you that what a bank has to do or can do Maybe different than what an insurance company do. This is strictly from a regulatory standpoint. Because they've got capital ratios. Once loans are classified at a certain level, they've got to put up more capital. It gets very complicated. But I can tell you that in the last downturn, the banks in general had to sell off tremendous amounts of their real estate assets at fire sale prices, whereas the insurance companies didn't. That wasn't driven by business decisions. That was driven by regulators. We had one client that was actually a multifamily player that had a loan, a senior debt loan with one of the major money center banks that everybody on this podcast would know. They called us the week before Thanksgiving and said, if you can close by year end, we will sell our $50 million loan, like 35. And it was probably really worth 45, but they just had regular pressure to get rid of it. So it, it created some irrational activity. We're not seeing any of that kind of stuff right now. We made down the road with some office things, but I don't see it being the same level problem. But with, with banks and insurance companies, so much of what happens is going to be driven by the, the regulatory climate and their capital ratios. When you get to the debt funds, each of these funds, this is very important. And most times, most sponsors haven't even thought about this. They're all capitalized in different ways. In other words, the fund itself, some of the funds are public, some of them are private, some of them have various institutional investors, some of them have one big investor. So how they're funded on these debt funds will drive a tremendous amount of how they react to things. If they're public and they have to make disclosures, they may do something. Some of these guys are publicly traded on the stock market. Yes, that's what I mean. Depending on their own internal funding and their own internal dynamics, they may basically make decisions that have nothing to do with your properties or his properties or her properties. So some of the decisions are going to be made based on their own internal issues, not on the individual projects, which again, creates some kind of head scratching, creates some opportunities at times because they'll throw the baby out with the bathwater, but at other times uh, they'll be very hard on things that should be easy concessions. They may have a problem because of their own internal issues. So again, it's a lender by lender, project by project. There's no one size fits all. And depending on who your lender is, you could have the exact same economic scenario, level of debt, occupancy, CapEx requirements. And if you had three different lenders, you could have three different outcomes just based on the lenders. So you need to also know it's very important to know the idiosyncrasies of the individual lenders because a lot of times, again, a lot of the sponsors don't realize that basically the, they have to put themselves in the lender's shoes, not just be thinking about what's good in their shoes. Because if it's not good for the lender, no lender's going to do it. So every sponsor needs to understand they need to be thinking about how's this good for the lender and not how is this good for me. Yeah. And, and I think like just catching up passive investors here, the sponsors are the general partners, but mostly you also have to remember as a passive investor, you're not on the hook for the debt. This is most cases, even if it is recourse debt, you're not the loan guarantor. It's the general partners or more importantly, the key principles within the general partners who are the ones 
signing on that recourse or non-recourse debt that kind of has to face the music if there's any type of delta in the loan due. So that's what we mean by talking with the, the sponsors is that word usage here. But yeah, you like, I think that's where it's important to sponsor a general partner in the situation, bringing a guy like yourself on board. Because initially, I, I, my sentiment was always like, look, this is the situation. This is what the properties are evaluated at. You just got to go forward to the king and queen and face your judgment and see what happens. At least that's from the sponsor's point of view, right, out there. Or at least a lot of your clients. Is that kind of that? I think my my experience has been, this is not just in this go around. My experience is the problem is people who are successful in real estate are go-getters and they're optimists by nature. Because if you're not an optimist by nature, you don't get into this kind of business. So I think that a lot of folks are convinced that if they just hold on for another month or two, things will get better. It gets back to the issue of I said, you got to have a plan, you got to have a plan, you got to have a plan. A lot of, of real estate entrepreneurs just they, it'll be better because it's always been, if they just hang on, it'll work itself out. And I, I think the biggest problem we see is, again, I think we see a lot of folks with their head in the sand. They have major problems. And instead of basically taking a step back and saying, okay, before I fund all this money and before I ask my limited partners or my LLC members for more money, let me figure out what the plan is if I, if I get the money. Does it make sense to take the money? And And they really don't have the experience and the financial sophistication to do that on the road. No one out there basically knows, oh, let me hire a restructuring advisor because no one even knows people like I exist for the most part. Because it's not like a lawyer or a doctor. Or it's, it's a, the problem also is that sometimes if they do bring advisors in, they tend to be more accountant types. They just give them a bunch of spreadsheet analysis that shows if you do this and if you do this and if you do this and if you do this, it all works out in the Excel spreadsheet. That doesn't do you much good. You got to be realistic. One of these, we, we challenge our clients and say, do you really believe you can do that? That seems awful aggressive. Where's your cushion? And we act as like the voice of reason because we've had some clients that say, I really think we should save this property. And then we really do, we roll our sleeves, we do some quantitative analysis and we put the numbers in front of our client and we say, okay, you want to save this, but for this thing to work, you need to get 90% of your projections and you've got to be at a five cap. So if you want to invest on those assumptions, that's pretty aggressive. You, you've got one thing that, yeah, if you buckle down, you could probably hit and you have control over, but the other half of the equation, or maybe even the larger part of the equation is unknown. Unknown. You have no control over cap rates. Zero. You can move the needle by good management on the CapEx and managing the CapEx. You can move the needle on occupancy. You can move the needle on, on rental rates within certain parameters, but no one on this call has any influence on where interest rates are going to be. The only thing I know about interest rates is we don't know. And I think speaking for most sponsors out there, general partners, the reason why you get into this business is for the business of your investors and your fiduciary for those people. And it goes against kind of what makes logical sense where operators, they, they want to fight. They want to fight to the end. And in some cases, like you're saying, it may not be the smart thing to do. You want to fight the smart battles. Hopefully... You have investors that are diversified, and if you've got an investor who's with a sponsor and invested four deals or five deals, hopefully they can make enough money back in a couple of deals by reinvesting in the deals that have a good shot of being successful to, to mitigate maybe the losses they have in the one or two that don't work out so well. It's like triage, like with, like MASH, the TV show. You got to triage. Unfortunately, in, in war, when the battle, some people come in, too far gone. 
they make a decision, they're not going to spend any time on that patient. They're going to save the patients that can be saved. To some extent, it's not a perfect analogy, but that's where we are here. There are some projects that just are too far underwater. The amount of capital it would take and let makes it make, there's no economic rationale for making that deal work. It just, it, it's one that went sideways. But there's plenty of others that basically with a little tender loving care and rolling up the sleeves and not having to have crazy assumptions on the back end that it's going to come out. Again, will come out and be a lower return than you may have expected? Yes. But so if you get a, so if you get an 8% return and you thought you were going to get a 15% return, is that so terrible? Anything else do you think we should chat about before we start to come out of the doom and gloom into the more positive before we make this turn? I think people just need to understand that basically, again, it's a, it's a, you got an industry-wide situation and there's going to be some heartburn and there's really, there's no really way to sugarcoat it. The fact is there's going to be some problems. So this is the time where kind of fear and uncertainty is at the highest. And this is when Warren Buffett says something with fear in the streets, that's when you should invest basically that this is the big kids club and this is when you make a lot of money. You've been putting a bug in my ear, especially a guy at your position, seeing all these types of deals go through this situation on the front lines. Loan modifications, what are they and why are they such a big opportunities for investors that are sophisticated? Number one, most of these projects need cash. They need cash to hit their business plan because most of the ones we're seeing they're negative cash flow. So to get the occupancy up to where it needs to be, to finish the CapEx, it's going to need a certain amount of cash flow deficiting for some period of time. Maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year, maybe it's 18 months. So you're going to need some cash. If you want to try and get some concessions from the lenders, you've got to show up with cash. So the opportunity is to come in and let's say you have a project that was originally, take a number, it was a $50 million purchase price, the equity was $10 million and the debt was is $40 million and it's negative cash flow, but it's close. It's very little negative cash flow, but it's negative. And someone's going to have to carry the project for a year while you complete the turnaround. Occupancy is currently 73%, should be 90%. If you come in now and you invest in a round of maybe project needs a couple million dollars, you're investing now at a $42 million valuation versus the $50 million valuation that people invested in this thing 18 months ago. So you're investing now at a value that reflects the, the new economic climate. So now all of a sudden, it makes sense. Now, it's got to be one, though, that you believe that it's going to clear the debt. In other words, you've got to invest in something that you're very confident that the worst case scenario, it's going to be worth more than the debt. I'll point out a couple of things in there too, why this is such a unique situation. Obviously, you're picking the property up at, 20%, 30% discount, or even more of what it was trading at. So that's that's a big thing right there. Secondly, you're picking this thing up before it goes to foreclosure, before the, the, the property gets dilapidated and neglected right. for months and goes to that process. The third thing is you're able to get somewhat of a cherry pick loan from a, a lender who's in the transaction right now that doesn't want to take back the property they just want a little bit of cash and they're going to change, refinance the loan to something ideally that's probably better than what you can get out there on the open market, whether you bought this property new. It's better than what you get on the open market, at least so far. And this may change as we get further into it. They're not willing to make major concessions. They're not willing to write off the loan balance. They're not willing to write off interest. Will they accrue some interest? Will they be more flexible on some of the use of the proceeds of your loans? 
again, they'll have some flexibility around their loan, but clearly you make a really good point. With the existing lender who's pregnant, you will be able to get better terms than you could if you went to a brand new lender who wasn't involved in the state at all. They'll be much tougher. So you're getting the most favorable loan terms you can get below the margin. That's the, the, the point. The, the biggest key is you're investing above all that old equity. You're investing above all that. So you're investing at, again, at 20, 25% less value than, again, this thing traded for 18 months ago. Some people will call this sort of vulture investing. Let's put it this way. The people that will come in will be very sophisticated. One of the things, and I've talked about this offline, we believe that what's fair to the existing investors I think most sponsors should adopt this. If they take any of this capital, they negotiate with the quote-unquote vulture investors that all the existing investors, all your current LLC members, they've got the ability to invest side-by-side with the vulture investor on the same terms and conditions, same exact same terms. So if, if Group X comes in and they're going to get a 20% preferred return and get some points, then the old investors of the sponsor, they get to invest exactly the same terms. And I think it's one of the things that the members should really look at the credibility of who the group coming in is. And if it's a very sophisticated group that knows what they're doing and you're investing side by side with them, pretty attractive. It's a win for the bank or lender. It's a win for the new vulture investors coming in. It's a huge win for them. And then it's also a win for the existing LPs in there to maybe get put in a whole situation. It's something. It does two things. They can hopefully make enough money with their new investment to mitigate their loss. And as you said, it's a hope that things really work out. Their existing equity may have some value, but even if their existing equity really has no value or very little value, it's like you're going to lose a bunch of money in your right pocket, but you're going to make a bunch of money in your left pocket. So when you combine them, you still may lose a little bit of money, but you've mitigated your loss dramatically. But again, it gets back to, you've got to look at these things on a project by project basis because it's not like, you just go out and say, oh, there, there's 10 rescue deals. I'm going to do 10 rescue deals. Who's the quality of the group? Again, if the group that's leading the rescue capital is a sophisticated, institutionally savvy real estate group, and you get to invest in the same terms as them, that's a really attractive opportunity. But again, every situation is different. It has to be looked at. There's no one size fits all. We do our investor surveys once a year. But so it's, we, we just put ours one out for our investor base. But if this is something that is enticing to you guys, shoot me a quick, heck yeah, let's do it. Email team at thewealthelevator.com if this sounds interesting to you guys and we'll look more into this. But let's zoom out a little bit for new investors coming into the world. It's like the end of Wizard of Oz when Dorothy comes back to Kansas and you count your lucky stars because you're coming in this great entry point when things are under market. 20, 30% of what they were trading at. So I keep telling investors, it's actually a great time to be entering the market. All this turmoil that we've been talking about really only applies to people in 2020 and to 2023 vintage deals with bridge debt under three to four years. Troy, you've been around 2008, that whole debacle. Maybe give us a little bit of like age-old dinosaur type of viewpoint here from your perspective. Single most important thing is Clean up your problems and be focused on the opportunities. The sooner you clean up your problems, the sooner you can focus on the, on the opportunities. And the people 
that were most successful. We, we did a restructuring for a group called the Related Group in Florida. They were the largest condo developer. We started the restructuring in, in January of 2009. We were done by the spring of 2010. And many big condo developers in Miami and South Florida didn't even really start their restructuring until early 2010. We're a year ahead of everybody. So they came out. They were able to pick up sites that they held for years, really attractive prices. You, you want to clean up your dirty laundry so you can focus on the good opportunities. Your lenders will be much tougher. So that's going to be, that's going to hold all the sponsors to be probably a little tougher on their analysis of, of what they're willing to do. One of the things that I think that a lot of the banks will do and they, especially lenders, they will look at the operating track record of people a little bit harder and not just lend to anybody. If you've got a quality lender that's lending, that's all, another kind of um, due diligence aspect for your investors because if XYZ lender is willing to lend to this group, they're going to be pretty picky and choosing now. They're not going to just lend to everybody. The new deal, many of them, they'll have more equity in the deal. They'll be more equitized because you're just not going to get the same level of leverage. Because you have a certain amount of NOI that's based on your rents and your occupancy. If interest rates are higher, it just doesn't support the same level of debt. So there are a couple of takeaways there from a in passive investor point of view. Look what Troy is saying to journal partners, right? Uh, obviously, like the way the deals are structured, they're all separate. You shouldn't commingle things back and forth. So if some have to go, like your 2022, I always equate this to wine in a way. You know, you had a bad, I think 2022 was like a fire year in California. It was just, you had smoky, a lot of rosé and a lot of smoky ruined wine. In a way, that's how... The, the commercial real estate market was. And that's why you don't throw all the barrels all with each other. You keep them separate. You restructure it as quickly as possible if you can. But if people are going to lose money in those types of projects, you just deal with it compassionately as best as you can with passive investors. But the, the key here is you move on and that's the beauty of kind of keeping things separate, right? So if a venture goes down, it doesn't take the whole fleet out of capacity. And then again, bringing that to passive investors, this is why you have to diversify yourself over maybe a dozen plus deals to get any type of diversification or what we've seen here, the last 12 years were great investment years. The last one, one and a half were not. Maybe one out of 10, you could make an argument for that. So what I've been telling people, if you can spread your investments through four to seven years, I think you're pretty good. You can sleep really well at night. The trouble is when you're starting to get involved in things, you're going to be a little bit exposed from a diversification standpoint there. And don't fall in love with any one deal. As you said, diversify the money watch deals. Unfortunately, if you guys are reading between the lines there, then you got to lean in more. You can't just do what I think a lot of people will do and just invest in two deals. That ain't going to cut it, folks. And unfortunately, I get it. You, if you're new to the alternative investment world, you can, that's where you're going to start. But I think that's where you got to get around other sophisticated investors who have big money in this type of stuff. And you see the level of buy-in and also the level of diversification that they have. But I guess... Yeah, Troy, any kind of final thoughts on this from a, a general partner you know, perspective? It's an unsteady time. I'd be a liar if I told you I knew exactly how it was going to play out. But I think the biggest thing that I do see is that I really do think we're seeing a significant number of sponsors still have their head in the sand. And if you're limited partners, if they're just hearing 
selling side stuff from your sponsors and you're hearing how great things are, be skeptical. So with that, Lane, thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah, a, a tough topic, but hey, I think that's why people listen to it because we don't really sugarcoat things. And when you've done $2 billion of deals like we have, we're not some rinky-dink sponsorship group. We're actually in the deals ourselves. And when you're in that many stuff, things are going to happen. And that's why you diversify. Yeah. But I know it can really help sponsors. People pass this podcast around. And that's my big thing is you think it's pressure on the passive investor. Think about it on the loan guarantor and the sponsor, right? Especially the guys who really care about their investors. It can be get very heavy on people emotionally. Troy's a guy that can help. I don't know, Troy, you want to put your email out there or, or website sure, for those, part, those GPs to get a hold of you? Sure. The name of the firm is Algon, A-L-G-O-N which is the, was the street where my high school was in Philadelphia. That's a very original name. My email is just troy at algongroup.com. And I'm happy to get some free advice from me. But the single biggest thing is don't put good money in the projects without a plan. I can't emphasize that enough. You got a little plan. You got a little plan. You got a little plan. So that's my final words. All right. We'll cut that there. Thanks all for listening. For those deals that in bridge debt, floating debt, you've got the kiss of death and it's got to play out over the next year or two. But if you're a new investor coming in when the market took a tumble last year, a great entry point. Either way, get educated. And I think now is probably one of the best times to get into the market as opposed to the frothy times that was 2021, 22, which we all know in hindsight. Yep. Once again, thanks for having me. That was the podcast. As promised, we're going to be inserting a parable. Hopefully it, it makes your day a little bit better or just adds extra enrichment to your life. Enjoy it. I am actually going to be working on a new project codenamed The Wealth Elevator Life, focusing on the personal side of the wealth building journey for a lot of our clients. Maybe you can call it first world problems. But anyway, here it is. A story that has been a profound meaning in my life to blend the science of achievement with the art of happiness and fulfillment. I just came back from my daughter's, she's three, and they had a little school activity where they had like a bucket of Skittles and they had to race across this little relay and not drop the Skittles and get past the relay. It's like triggered this in my mind and... I'll uh, give a shout out to my buddy who's out in the Middle East. And he was the one who told me this story. And I've heard uh, different renditions of this story from other parts of the world. It's always interesting when you hear parables, either it's from Taoism, Buddhists, the Bible. I'll get right rolling right into it. So there was a, a young guy. He was wanted to improve himself, get somewhere in life. We'll date the story back into pre-1800s. So there was this village because he would live in villages back then. And he would ask people like, hey, how do I become successful and crack this thing called life? And people would tell him, you got to go climb that high mountain and that big, glorious temple mansion up there. You got to talk to the wisest man in town. So that's what he did. It took him a while to climb up there. And when he was there, this vast estate of opulence and big, huge mansion. He finds the old wise man, the old sage, and he asks him, hey, people told me that you're super wise, good in business, obviously very affluent. How does a young guy like me crack this thing called life? And so the old man, he says, hey, take this spoon, put it in your mouth. So if you think about it, it's like the old, the Easter egg 
relay game where they put the spoon in your mouth and put the Easter egg on top of it. But in this case, instead of the Easter egg, he put oil. If you guys know, back in the old days, everything was oil, right? The oil baths and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if there's some other symbolic meaning of oil, but he put oil in there and he says, all right, put the spoon in your mouth. He put oil in the spoon and he says, now don't spill the oil. Now go walk around my huge estate and come back and remember, don't spill the oil. So the guy's, all right, I want to make a good impression on this guy. I don't know exactly what he's up to here, but yeah. So he was really meticulous and took his time one foot in front of the other. He went, it took him a while because this place is huge. And he finally comes back, must've took 20, 30 minutes, which is a really long time for such a seemingly feeble tasks like this and he goes and he comes back and the man i don't know if he went in and did something else and came back but the man the old wise man was meeting him there and he says hey here's the spoon and look i didn't drop a single drop of this oil right here the old man obviously hey good job man good job old lad and the, the young guy, he's maybe not, not quite full of himself, but he's like, all right, finish your tasks. What's the, what's the secret, the magic advice I'm seeking here? And the man says, hey, let me just say, good job. You didn't spill any of the oil exactly when I asked. And he said, hey, by the way, did you see all of my special gardens around the mansion, all the statues that it's taken time for me to curate over the years and the architecture of my building? Heck, you were like walking around this thing for 20, 40 minutes. What did you see? Then the young guy's, ah, oh, shoot, right? Like, I didn't see anything because I was paying attention to the stupid spoon and keeping the oil in the spoon. So the old wise man says, okay, if you don't mind, can you do this task again? And this time, enjoy the, the, the beauties of around my estate. The guy puts his spoon in his mouth. He fills it up with oil and he heads out again. You can imagine he comes back, actually takes him a lot longer. So it's not like he was rushing through this. And he saw, wow, this old man wasn't kidding, right? This is some cool stuff. Even for a young guy who doesn't necessarily have the appreciation for that type of stuff yet. And he comes back and gives the guy the spoon. And as you could imagine, there's no oil in there because he was like looking at other stuff. And he's a little ashamed by that. But the, the old man says, hey. That's essentially the secret to life, going around the, the mansion, or in this case, life, enjoying the fruit. Also can be the highs and lows, right? I think we all understand there's ups and downs in life. The downs are what makes the, the highs higher in a way, the contrasts. But you'll have to balance these two, where tasks of the keeping the oil in the spoon is synonymous with like accomplishing things, the science of achievement, getting things done, right? We could all just basket weave and do yoga all day long, but we wouldn't get anything accomplished. And I don't think a lot of people would find much fulfillment in that type of lifestyle. And I think most of us, myself included, we are attuned more to the, the paradigm of being walking around the mansion, the estate, not seeing anything we come back with all the, the oil and the spoon or we, the money's in the bank account, basically. Net worth and career status achievement. To summarize, the name of the game, which illustrated in this parable here, is simply going around enjoying life. You never know when it's going to end. And I think that's where the parable is. A little, I, I think it's a little bit different, right? It's not like you're seeing the same sculptures or 
architecture again and again. It's different. Where you were five, 10 years ago, you'll never get that type of ability to have those memories again. If you take a page of the Die With Zero book from Bill Perkins, who we had on the podcast in the back, I think that was 2000, must have been 2023. There is this concept of you, your life is in five year, maybe at most 10 year increments. And once you close a chapter of your life, that five years, there's a lot of things that just close up. A lot of things that you wanted to do, it will push off into their 50s, 60s when they have money and they have more time. Physically, they may not be able to do it anymore. That's just maybe an add-on onto this parable here. But just from a simplistic point, that's the ideas, right? How do we achieve things? How do we invest, achieve that higher level of financial freedom? But again, at the same time, have a blended approach where we don't go around the mansion or the life and just have this spoon in front of our face all the time. Big picture blending both of them. But anyway, I thought that was ironic because is our children, my daughter, as I was mentioning earlier, inspired this little post that as parents, you're the one who's supposed to instill these types of values. And some people, maybe myself included, take the Skittles and don't drop any and do it as fast as you freaking possible. The other side of the equation is have fun. Enjoy this experience, right? Going through high school, college, it's stressful, but enjoy. You're going through a career. You're in your 40s or 50s. Enjoy it is the other side of this perspective. Attention needs to be to both sides and a little bit of intentionality needs to be going towards both sides. And I would probably urge people, most people, if you're like myself, probably a little bit more slighted on the achievement side. Any other things kind of trigger, feel free to drop a comment below. We get a discussion going, but yeah, it's something that I've been pondering for a long time. And that's that I just share with you 